0: Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. Welcome back to the Women Make Waves podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today, Laura and Arielle are interviewing me. Um, we're doing another Meet the Host episode, and I had so much fun doing this. We love talking to guests. We love bringing in experts and getting their stories, and it was seriously so, so, so fun to share my own. I share what it's like to be a coach at NC Fit, what my therapy practice is like, how the two have blended together, and how somatic therapy is here to heal all. We dive into so many different things. You get to see my redneck side, my hippie side, and it'll make so much sense why I am a self-proclaimed redneck with hippie tendencies. If you guys have a moment, please head over and give the show a five-star rating and review. And if you love the show, share it. Let us know. Tag us on Instagram. I'm Lindsay. We got Ariel. We've got LD. You have all of our handles in the show notes and make sure to also tag NC fit. We love to see you guys supporting the show and can't wait to bring more episodes to you. So without further ado, enjoy the show.
1: What's up, guys? We're back on the Women Makes Wave podcast, and we are doing a meet the host episode with our very own Lindsay Locke. Lindsay has been coaching at NC Fit for longer than I can remember, and she's also a therapist outside of that lastly she's self-proclaimed redneck with hippie tendencies super excited to start this off uh Lindsay, i'll let you take it from here and answer the question we like to ask all of our guests how are you making waves
0: uh wow well first let's talk about being a redneck with hippie tendencies because i think that that in some we all tie it back somehow but in some weird way um it ties into how i'm making waves so I grew up in a very, very small rural town in California, um, where everyone drives a big lifted truck and like slams Coors Lights. And you guys might be laughing because that's on brand for me, right? I drive a truck. Yeah, call it shitty beer. I like it. I drink it. It's so good. If the Rockies are blue, it's going down. Um, but I also spent the last ten years living in Santa Cruz, so I also love you know, doing witchy stuff like full moon. I love setting my intention and grounding and journaling and making my little potions that are like really just coffee made with like extra love and attention and intention into my cup of coffee, but that's my potion. Right. So I was like, how on earth can I be both? Like, how can I be this like redneck that is so down to like fish and hunt and camp and do all the things and slam Coors Light while I do it while also like caring about the environment and my gut health and all of these like woo-woo hippie things that I do all the time. And I was like, it doesn't need to be an either or, it can be a both and. Um, And so making waves, like you mentioned, um, I am a therapist outside of my work with NC Fit. And I have been on this quest of authenticity and trying to share that with other people, and especially other women. A lot of my practice is made up Um, of girls in their early 20s that are kind of starting to navigate this stuff or even like late adolescence, right? Um, And being able to hold that space for all of them and say, hey, like, it's okay to create your own journey to write your own story, you don't have to fall in to the fairy tale or the narrative that society or your parents or your friends have all thrown at you. Um, Let's give you a pen and paper and let you write your own. So that's kind of been my quest lately.
2: I love this vision quest that you've been on. It like really does resonate with me at least. And I know that it can be really difficult to bring those bo- both of those sides of you into the picture at the same time, right? Like this and also conversation instead of the either or can be really daunting. And I know like, especially as I've been trying building this business to like bring my story into my business because that is my brand. It's been really hard to find and figure out how to mesh all of the pieces and how they all go together. And you do that so beautifully. Like you, it's, it's almost seems flawless the way that like you are very redneck and hippie at the same time. So how have you found that Like, what are some things that you have found for yourself that help you step into that authenticity?
0: Oh, man. Um, I think being almost 30 does a lot of that for you. Um, I think that I just stopped giving such a shit, um, it was it was funny because I I'm very much a chameleon. I'm very much able to. I mean, right? I work in PR for NC Fit. I can fit the vibe of whatever the room is is feeding me, um, and I thought that that was a huge strength and like a, a a massive quality that I had until i realized that when i do that and all i'm doing is people pleasing and giving the story to those around me that they want to hear that i would leave these events or dinners or other engagements feeling so depleted and like i am an extrovert by nature so things like that should absolutely fill me up and i would get home and like journaling is a huge practice for me we can go into that um Later, if you guys want, but I was like f- going through my journals and finding these themes of like when I would check in in the morning and it was like, what's my mood today? Right. And I was like, run down or depleted or tired or whatever. I was like, I started recognizing like, what was my night like before? Or what was I doing before that was like eliciting this response? And so often it was like I was at an event doing something that like wasn't in alignment with me. Um, And so I started getting really curious of like, okay, I enjoy saying yes, I enjoy going to these things to an extent. But how can I do these things and make them my own? How can I go to, you know, I'm in my hometown right now, I'm in Sonora, um, and they have a gala and um, a gala in a redneck town is a sight first and foremost. But second, I would like show up to these things and my parents like, hey, can you like shelf the like woo woo hippie talk? And I'd be like, yeah, and I would like, you know, schmooze and, and rub, what's the term, rub shoulders with like people who are somebody and be like, yeah, I can like talk your talk and walk your walk. And it wasn't until I started going to those events and being like, no, I'm not going to table the conversations that I want to have. Like I, if you aren't somebody that can connect with me on something that's authentic and true to me, that's kind of my litmus test of like, why are we wasting each other's time at this point? Neither one of us is going to, we're both going to leave this conversation like, Hey, I just had this really superficial conversation and all this small talk that I really didn't want to have. And if time is our most valuable currency like why am I not being more mindful of how I spend it so it was a really roundabout way of saying like I guess the practice that I put in place was like really checking in with myself of like how doing these things was making me feel and how I was showing up after the fact um to really start changing the way I was showing up that was more in alignment
2: (sighs) I love that I think that having the awareness is that first step it sounded like for you to be able to say okay you know. I'm noticing a trend here. I'm waking up constantly feeling like I am not filling my own cup. And I can imagine that a lot of people feel the same way. You know, they they're not, maybe they're not in the awareness stage of like, I know what's causing it, but they know that they don't feel great. And I know that you work on this with your clients to help them be their most authentic selves. So when you are with your clients, when you are, helping them kind of work on developing their own authenticity here. What is something that you find maybe there's not a trend, but like, is there something that most people you feel like run into there? Um, Just to clarify,
0: you mean like when I'm working with them, why they feel like they're not showing up authentically or how they then start to find their authentic self?
2: Maybe both of those.
0: Yeah. So perfect. I can talk about that. Cool. Um, so the first thing, and this is like, we learn about this like day one of any sort of master's program in counseling psychology that you take is that like the rapport and the relationship that you build with your client is oftentimes the most healing modality of the therapy. Um, like if I can show up for my client with unconditional positive regard, and they know that I love them, not in a romantic sense, right? But like, I love them. I care about them. When they don't show up for a session, I wonder if they're okay, right? Like I'm showing them this unconditional love. And more than anything, sometimes, and this is a little tangential, but sometimes you'll have like, A client fall in love with you or a client like says these things because you're the first person that's ever showed up in that way. And that gives you another thing to process, right? Like you can say, there's there, and this might be an ethical thing, and this is different for every therapist. So I'm not saying that this is what you should do or how you should handle it. But when that's come up for me, um typically I'm like, awesome. And that's kind of like what? (laughs) Like, whoa, ethical boundary, but it's like, no, now you know what it is like for someone to care about your needs for someone to care if you're sleeping eating hydrating if you're emotionally sound if all of these things right you have felt that because i've provided that in a non-romantic way i've provided that so how can we help you find that out in the real world you felt it now you know it's possible you know these things exist so how can we help you find that and so to use that kind of example i use that the same way with like you know, my teen girls or my early twenties girls that come in and they start sharing these things that are so universal. There are so many times that I have girls come into my room and they're like so embarrassed to tell me something or ask me a question And I don't laugh, but like a part of me is like, girlfriend, if you only knew how many people are coming into session weekly and asking these same questions, your shame would completely dissipate because we all have the same ones at the end of the day. We all want to know we're normal. We all want, we all do things that we think are so weird, but are not like, we all are way too worried about what other people are thinking about us. And if you can reframe that and say, Hey, how often are you wondering what people think about you? And it's, you know, 80% of the time it's like, their 80% of the time is worrying about what people think about them. So they don't even have time to see your, your shit. Right. Um, so I think the first step in building that awareness is just creating that alliance and creating that connection, whether that's with a therapist, a friend, someone that you can be 100 with and knowing what it's like to show up and know that there is no judgment at whatever you say. Um, because then if they know that they have the capacity to show up that way, then they can start cultivating that in other areas of their life. So finding it in a safe container and then integrating it into like their real world
1: experience. This reminds me so much of the conversation we had with Kelly Tennant when she was on the podcast about reparenting. Like, I, I don't know like what your thoughts are on that as well. But even as we move, I mean, adolescence and being a young teenager, I it feels like you're just swimming in the open ocean spiraling and trying to figure everything out. But it's like, even as adults, like we still consciously have to reparent ourselves and give ourselves that love and that like, you're okay. This is normal. I'm okay. I just curious to hear your thoughts on that, especially your experience with younger girls and um, everyone else you, you treat in your practice.
0: Yeah. Two things come up. One, I work a lot with IFS, which is internal family systems, um, it's a type of therapy that gets you the best way I can explain it. Have you guys ever watched the Pixar movie inside out? It is so cute. They're nodding for those of you that can't see it. They're nodding. Yes, they've seen it. If you've not seen that movie, go watch it. That is the best portrayal of IFS I have ever recognized because she has this like little angry part and she has this anxious part and they all have these different things that they're trying to tell her. Right. And what IFS does is it gets in touch with those parts. like. You name them, you get to know them, you love them. You, I, I talk about it as like, you, you set the dinner reservation and you're inviting all of them to the table to show up however they want. And the clearer I can get on what it feels like when anxiety comes up in me. And I can feel the somatic response. I, like my fists start to tighten. My breath gets a little bit more shallow. Maybe my chest is really tight, whatever it is. When I can then take that bird's eye view and recognize when that's happening in my conversations or anything like that, depending on how far we've gotten into like getting curious about this part and learning this part, then I can like, it sounds kind of like crazy talk, but then I can have that internal conversation with myself of like, oh, hey, homegirl, like I see you coming up. Like, and now because of the work I've done, I also know that you're 12 years old. And at 12 years old, the conversation that I'm having right now would be really scary. I get that and I can show up for you and I can love you and I can hold you in a way that like honors your presence, doesn't tell you to go away, but gives you the support and love you need as I decide to still have this conversation that is a difficult one with my partner or anything in between. Um, So that's kind of my like more uh, clinical side of things. My woo woo side of things is that I am In the thralls and the trenches of my Saturn's return right now, (laughs) you guys are laughing, but here I am. Basically, in astrology, Saturn return is all about, it's like a very, it can be very chaotic. It can be very, very different for all sorts of people, depending on what your life is like and how you've set it up and what kind of things you've gotten curious about. But for a lot of people, it like takes life as you know it and like shakes it up and is like, hey, girlfriend or boyfriend or they friend, look at your shit because I am knocking on the door asking you to be authentic. I am asking you to find your authentic self right now. So is, even though it feels very chaotic, there's like this underlying knowing. There's this underlying knowing of like, it feels chaotic, but I also know I'm moving in alignment with this. Like this feels scary and it's for my growth. This feels, you know, this is bringing up a lot of anxiety in me. And I kind of like it because I feel like I'm returning home. So that is my practice outside of like the clinical practice I do is like trusting my process right now and knowing that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, even though it feels kind of crazy and chaotic.
2: Okay. Need to just point out that's from your birth chart, right?
0: Yes. So yes. And um, so your, your natal chart is basically a snapshot of the sky and the stars, and the planet, and the moon, and the sun, the moment you were born, where you were born. Um, And that roadmap, if you will, kind of shows you your strengths, where you like are in alignment with things, from finances, to family, to relationships, to all these different areas, right? And everyone is different because you are a unique, beautiful star out out in this world, right? However, Saturn's return happens in your 29th year, um, and it lasts, I want to say seven years. So you're, you're in it, you're in it gets easier, right? But um, yeah, people can and it's gonna, it's gonna kind of start, you know, at different times in that 29th year, um, dependent on your natal chart. But yeah, you can kind of find out there.
2: It's crazy that you said that though, because I've been, I'm not in my 29th year. I'm in my 28th year. However, it feels like it may be starting. So I was like, I'm super curious because I know that you're like a few steps ahead of me in everything. And I'm always like, Oh, what's Lindsay doing? What's happening? I need to know about the birth chart thing. So thank you for clarifying. Um, and I if anybody else wants you. to get theirs. So where do you think they should go?
0: Oh, shout out to my girl, Bruna. Um, she's my astrologer and like you can, okay. Astrology can turn into like WebMD real quick. If you start trying to do this on your own, like you will think you are dying. You will think these crazy things are happening. You think that you're supposed to meet the love of your life. Like when I got into astrology and I've like barely scraped the surface of it, I was like, I do not need another Cosmo article telling me what it's like to be born on April 21st. All right. I don't care. Like I don't care. Um, (laughs) but when I did my needle chart reading, um, and we can put it in the show notes. Um, I work with an astrologer and she, it's not like woo woo, like witch magic. Like they're kind of just telling you like, hey, like, this is what this means when this moon is in this house and these different things. So um, work with a professional, whether it's the one that we put in the show notes or not work with someone that knows what they're doing. Don't try to kind of like self-diagnose or like figure it out unless you want to become one. Then like the best way, in my opinion, is like get experiential, but like do that with a guide, do that with a mentor, do that with somebody.
2: 1000% agree. Go ahead, Laura. Okay. I just need to ask because I, (laughs) I am like,
1: So I'm 26, so I'm a little bit behind both of you guys. But whenever Mercury is in retrograde, my whole life falls apart. And I just want to know if that's a common experience for you guys as well. Like, I think last time I missed a flight, I broke my phone, and then something else really ridiculous happened too. So just thinking about what you're talking about, about Saturn, is making me really scared.
0: (laughs) Make- um, I always joke and I'll like, because when things go to shit, I'll be like, Oh, Mercury's in Gatorade. And <laughs> people are like, excuse me. We're like, Oh, Mercury's in reverse cowgirl again. Here we are. Um, but <laughs> yes, that is a common theme that people have. Um, what I would get, um, mindful of, and this is just a like psychological happening in general is like your confirmation bias. Um, And that is something I bring up to all of my clients and all of my friends and my girlfriends hate it. Cause I'm like, Hey, like, of course you're like asking this question because you want this answer, but like, let me give it to you straight. Let me give you the truth. Um, so in short, yes, it is possible that energetically life is going chaotic when mercury is in retrograde. Um, however, I also think that as humans, we are meaning makers and we want to, make meaning out of things that maybe don't have any, like maybe the fact that the penny was tail side up when you stumbled upon it was because that's how it fucking fell out of the person's pocket. Right. That like, doesn't mean you're going to have a bad day, but if you get it in your mind that I'm going to have a bad day, then yes, you're going to, because your thoughts create your reality. Um, one of my favorite examples of confirmation bias to kind of like show how powerful it is, is there was a study done And it was in grade school, you guys. It was like, I want to say it was like third graders going into the fourth grade. Um, And it was a study that they took the valedictorian, if you will, the highest scoring kid of the third grade and the kid failing. And they switched their transcripts when they gave them to the teacher of the fourth grade class. So when the kids were coming in on the first day of school, the teacher had it in their mind that, you know. Joe Blow is the number one kid in class and you know Johnny is failing and even though that was not what had happened the year before within like two weeks of class it had actually completely reflected that all of a sudden this kid that was struggling was scoring the highest on tests and papers and everything else and the kid who went from like crushing it was now failing everything and it was just because this teacher had an unconscious bias of how this was going to play out. So they read their papers differently. They like showed up for them in class differently. And so when we go back to like reparenting, right? Like if you had one person that like showed up for you, if you had one person that believed in you, that's often enough to like get a kid to succeed. Um, Whether or not that's your like biological caretaker. So that's kind of a a lot and convoluted, but basically that, you know, if you go searching, whatever it is you're searching for, you're going to find the answers that confirm that bias. Um so get people in your life that like call that shit out.
2: <laughs> Heck yeah, that's us for everyone, I feel like, on this screen. Um but this is such an interesting conversation and it's so true. And this is something that I have a conversation around with all of my clients is like if you think it's going to be hard, if you're expecting it to be hard, it's going to be hard because you're preparing. It's almost like you're white knuckling it, like waiting, just waiting for something to be wrong. And a lot of times, and I, it's a little different, I think with nutrition coaching, because some of the conversation we have is not around food at all. When it comes to this, it's about all these other areas of your life where it's adding to stress. That's making you turn towards food as a coping mechanism. And a lot of what I do Absolutely plays into that. And that's, I feel like something that I have a conversation around literally all the time. Is just this, com- the confirmation bias of if you're expecting it to go some way and you give it the meaning that like, well, of course it's going to go that way because I wasn't good enough as a kid or, you know, I wasn't enough for my parents or whatever, like whatever you made the situation mean for yourself growing up, that. Transfers into your entire life. So the fact that you are working with younger girls, younger kids is so incredibly powerful because now they're getting that person that's showing up for them, that's holding that space for them in a way that's going to help them rewrite that now when they're 12, 13, 14 years old instead of like 45. Like some of my clients are in their 50s and they're rewriting the story now. And there's never, it's never too late to start, but imagine if you could start earlier. So I'm so stoked for these girls. Do you feel like at any point, um, I don't even, I don't know how I want to ask this question, but I'm kind of feeling like, do you think at any point you're going to try and work with younger girls to help them? Or do you feel like this is kind of where you feel yourself making the most waves?
0: it's funny because when i was first going through school to become a therapist i thought i was going to work in addiction for the rest of my life i was working in residential treatment um and i was seeing all of this come up right we only worked with adults we worked with 18 and over um and it was very very clear especially when we get an 18 year old that was like yeah i started using heroin at 12 It was like okay so like these stories these narratives start really young Um, but I was like convinced that that's what I was going to do. I was like, no, I'm going to work strictly with addiction and codependency and all of these things. Um, and I know that the population I don't want to work with is kids. They make me super uncomfortable. I haven't stepped into that maternal period of my life yet. And I was like, mm, no nope, kids aren't for me. They're kind of like full of paste and germs and like not for me. Uh, and then I started my practice and almost all of my clients to start were like kids and teens and I love all of them so much. Like kids first off are the best cause they'll give it to you straight. Like there's so many times where I, with my adult clients we like unpack and unpack and unpack and unpack and kids are just like, no, like this fucked up thing happened and I hated it. And it was like, yes, let's talk about it. You know? Um, and I think that I'm kind of that age where I'm like, just old enough to be like the cool cousin kind of vibe. Um, and like just young enough to like still know what TikTok is so that my clients don't feel like they're with a therapist. It's like, what's Snapchat? I don't know. Right. Um, so now I work with the age group that I do and it's so important. Um, I also think that puberty is a huge time to like, it's a huge shift, right? Like we are hormonally different. Our hormones affect our emotions. They affect this lens at which we are viewing through life. Um, And so I think that that has a, like, I don't know that I would want to start personally would want to start working with people until they're like maybe in that or just about through it. Cause that's going to be a huge shift in the way that they see the world anyway, because of what's going on in their bodies. Um, So to kind of go back to what you were saying, Ariel, like, the fact that you are a nutrition coach and like you are finding that all of these different things are coming up for people. It's like, it's all connected, right? Like our hormones are so connected to our, you know, what our body needs and what we might be deficient in. And if we're deficient in B12, like how is that affecting your mental space and how can we all work together? So my, my practice and my schooling is all holistic, which is great. Um, It ties into all of that. And I love being able to speak to it because that's what I geek out on. Um, But to answer your question, I don't have, like, a huge drive at this moment. It changes all the time. I don't have this huge drive to work with young, young kids. Um, But, like, men and women and whatever your gender identity is that are, like, going through puberty or, like, just through it is a really, really important time to be working through this stuff.
1: Yeah, going to what we were saying about puberty I think it's like especially I mean I can only speak from a woman's perspective but if I had somebody to guide me through that stage other than just being in health class and learning the ABCs of like hey you're gonna get boobs and hips like cool but but that's such an emotional experience for a young girl to go through and see you know from my like from being really athletic and a fast runner to then having hips and a chest and being like, this isn't the same. I'm not running as fast. And then seeing like boys look at you differently and stuff. There has to be some other piece to the puzzle other than sitting in a health class and learning what sex is and how your body's going to change. Right. So that's so powerful that you're tapping into that.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, like I was saying, it's all connected, right? Um, unfortunately so much and this is mostly sex ed um but so much of what we learn is fear-based knowledge like you don't want it you don't want to be this so like don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do this instead of like well i'm 14 and my hormones are fucking wackadoodle right now and all i can think about is sex and you're telling me not to right it's like this it's the mindfulness experiment when they were like hey uh, you can think about anything on the planet right now. Billions and billions and billions of options of things to talk about, but don't think about a white bear. What was the only thing that people reported thinking about was like a white bear because like what we repress is like what comes up in our subconscious. Um, and so if all you're being told is like, don't have sex, the, that mean girls thing, right? Like if you have sex, you will get pregnant and die. Right? Like, okay, well now, all I'm thinking about is sex and I'm terribly afraid of it. And it's creating all of this shame or like, drug and alcohol use like all I'm thinking about is how horrible it is and it's this toxic this toxic product but like I'm also in a super experimental phase in my life and I'm curious about them and I have all these questions that I have so much shame about asking because my teacher is gonna think I'm a degenerate and my parents gonna like send me to boot camp or you know whatever right like they there's not a space where people are like learning harm reduction like the reality is like teen sex, teen drug use, teen alcohol abuse, like it happens. And I think it happens in such higher levels because there's like, we have this abstinence based message that like, they don't have the resources to even get the questions answered that they want.
2: That's so true. And I feel like (laughs) I'm just thinking back on when I went through sex ed, I'm pretty sure we, they didn't even have us all do it together. It was like, You, they sent home a DVD and you had to watch it alone. And then your parents had to sign off on you watching this video. And then that was the sex talk. Like that was literally it. And I remember watching it and being like, this is the most uncomfortable thing I have ever done in my life. I will never talk about this with anyone literally ever again. And then going through school, like I was sexually assaulted. And I had no one to talk to about it because I was terrified to bring up those actions because I literally didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know like who to tell. And I was embarrassed. And I think of all of these people that go through the same situation, same scenarios, and maybe it's not as um, maybe it's not as drastic, not as dramatic but they still feel traumatized in some way, shape, or form and can't talk about it. So how do you give, how do you start that conversation with a teenager? Because that is really where I think this probably could have gone better, at least for me growing up. And I'm imagining so many other young girls.
0: Yeah. First off, thank you for sharing that. Cause I know that's a really vulnerable thing to share. Um, And, and just touching on that for a second, um, what's most important about all of my work is normalizing, 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 normalizing. And so a lot of times, um, it's called psychoeducation, which like, I still don't like that word because I think of like psychopaths, but, um, psychoeducating your client. So when, especially when working with a client that has been sexually assaulted, um, our spirals into shame right either shame and like who do i tell who's gonna believe me and then if that person doesn't believe me how does that perpetuate it um what has society told me is an okay way to deal with this um and and we can get really really down on ourselves of how we responded in that moment and the reality is trauma the way it affects the brain our frontal lobe, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. And that is the part of our brain that is logic is reason is basically like when you talk to someone about a really traumatic event, they remember the event, but it might not be in like sentential order. Um, They don't know how long it was. They can't like tell you what exactly what time of day it is. So that's especially hard for sexual assault survivors because all of a sudden, the laws involved, and they're like, you can't remember these details. You're lying, these different things. It's like, no, actually, that entire part of my brain that keeps track of those things was offline because I was in survival mode. Um, and what we're finding, or what they have found, is that, right, we've heard our fight-or-flight response, right? Um, and that is pretty colloquial now. People are like, oh, fight-or-flight. But there's actually two more, and it's freeze and fawn. So we have flight-flight fl- flight, fight freeze and fawn and freeze is like playing possum right it is deep in our dna to do that it is deep in our dna to freeze because from a predatory standpoint if we're like a predatory animal out in the wild they will not if they come across a dead animal they will not eat it because they know from their genetics that it could have died of disease it could be rotten it could make me sick so they don't touch it predatory animals do not eat dead animals they Prey on live ones, right? So it is deep in our DNA to freeze in those moments. It's also in our DNA to start fawning. So when we talk about, um, like sometimes like kidnap victims, they like fall in love with their captor, right? That's that fawn response. That's a like, if I can make this easier on this person, maybe they'll make it easier on me. It's a survival technique, right? And so when you can start teaching your clients about these different responses, And knowing, like, hey, like, now that we're talking about it and you're not in active trauma, so long as they're not, like, in PTSD and reliving it, right, and having flashbacks. But if I'm talking to them on this plane and the prefrontal cortex is back online, there's so much shame. It's like, why did I just lay there? It's like, well, let's talk about freeze. Let's talk about the fact that, like, somewhere in your genetic makeup, on a primal level, that is a survival technique. And it's like, why couldn't I do this? Why didn't I do this? But it makes more sense. Like if fight is a response, why didn't I fight? it's like, well, that's all logic. But like, we don't get to pick. It's kind of like we spin up the hopper and like our trauma response comes out and that can be fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And after the fact, you can say, I would have liked to do this. And it's like, that's okay. But logic wasn't online. Um, So I think that there's so much to just normalize the experience that people are having, whether that's sexual assault or... I'm thinking about having sex for the first time and I'm really scared, right? Or, okay, like, can we talk about this super candidly and openly? And can I answer any questions you have? Can I normalize the experience that you're having? Because if I don't do that, it's just going to perpetuate the shame. It's just going to perpetuate. And like, how many times I have people ask me questions, they're like, I'm really embarrassed to ask you this. And I'm like, I asked my mom the same one and I got a really shitty response. So like, let me change that narrative for you, you know? And, and so I think that that was a really tangential way of saying, um, normalizing and creating a space where people can talk about things that feel like their deepest, darkest secrets is going to, again, go back to what I was talking about before, create that rapport, create that unconditional positive regard and give a space where more conversation like that can even happen and unfold.
2: That's such a huge, I don't want to say like it's a um, pro to to having a therapist, right? But like it is, right? It's a really positive space. And I think that right now, that conversation, that narrative around speaking to a therapist is changing, especially through quarantine, especially going through being isolated for so long. People are now seeming to be more open and willing and they're looking for someone to talk to. And that is such a cool space to be in because now so many more people are finding their authentic selves because they're more open and willing to talk about the things that are making them hide or making them like fall back and try and and sit in that narrative, uh, that, um, role of being like a people pleaser, you know, do you have any resources for anyone to find a therapist? Because I know that a it, it very state to state, I know that there's all these different weird kind of laws and things, but, um, if anybody is listening and they do feel like they're ready to speak to somebody or they need that, um, they could use that resource. What can we provide for them? Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: Again, it does depend state to state. Like I am under my training and my ethics, like I have to treat clients in California. Um, so your therapist needs to be in the same state in which you reside um so they can treat you. So a great place to start is like psychology today and people are like, oh, it's the magazine. But no, go to psychologytoday.com and you can literally type in where you are, what you're looking for, and look at these different modalities. Um, there's also better help um, which has been really helpful throughout the pandemic for people. It's, um, I want to say you can do, you might be able to FaceTime, but I think you can just do it on your phone. Um, and they kind of take care of, you like fill out your inquiry form and they kind of take care of where you're located, what therapist is in alignment with what you need. And they kind of like give you a handful of referrals that way. Um, so those are both really great. And then also like, I cannot stress enough, like, how important it just is to, and whether it's a therapist or not, but like having the person in your life that you can truly connect with. And that can be a best friend that can be a partner that can be like for me for a really long time. I didn't have that person. I had my journal. And I know I talked about journaling at the very beginning, but it was like, I just would like flow of consciousness, start writing every morning. And like, I could look at themes, I could look at different things. Um, the page wasn't gonna talk back to me. It wasn't gonna tell me I was crazy. It wasn't gonna do all these things. And once I got the narrative out of my head and the stories out of my head and put them onto paper, it was like, I could see like my own like core false beliefs and see how they were showing up in the way that I was thinking. I could see these different things. I was like, oh, like that was such a big deal in my head. And now that I'm reading it and I'm like digesting it in a different way instead of just getting caught in my thoughts, I'm now able to like view this a different way or be more objective about it or any of those things. So um, yeah, psychology today, better help, journaling practice. That's kind of where I would start.
1: One thing I want to add to just from my own experience is um, and Lindsay, you can speak to this for sure, but being on the other end here is that when you're searching for a therapist or meeting with therapists, I was always so worried that, you know, if I didn't vibe, if, like we didn't have vibe right the first time and I'd be like, Oh my God, I have to break up with you. Like, I'm going to hurt their feelings. It's like breaking up with a friend. Like they're going to hate me. But, um, just from going, being in therapy for like 15 years, it's a very professional experience. And like more and more, I see therapists starting, um, sessions being like, if we don't have that connection you're looking for, I'll refer you out to someone else. So even if you have been in therapy and maybe didn't have a great experience, like it's okay to kind of try and test different people until you find that, that one match.
0: Totally. And like, it's literally our ethic responsibility to do that. Like if the work that we are doing, like even it, it's, it's the same thing as coaching Ariel. I'm sure you've seen this a thousand times. Like I can tell an athlete a cue that's supposed to get them to open up their hips time and time and time and time again. And another coach will come by and say it in a different set of words and the athlete gets it right. That's therapy too. Like if your therapist is taking offense to you, breaking up with them, they need therapy, right? Like, and second, if your therapist isn't in therapy, like that's a problem too. Um, no, it's not. That was kind of a call out. If your therapist isn't in therapy and they're doing a great job, that's totally fine. But, um, know that it's okay to like lean into your experience of like, I'm not getting what I want here. Um, and, and, you know, taking that confirmation bias into, in, into consideration, like, am I not liking this because the therapist isn't siding with me or isn't confirming what I want them to confirm? Are they asking me to grow? Are they pushing me to think differently? well, then you have some reflection, right? But like, if there's truly, just like, that's why I connect with my kids, right? Because they don't have to spend 20 minutes of their 50 minute session explaining to me what TikTok is, right? There's this underlying, like, we just get each other because we both are living in the same plane. Um, And so there's plenty of reasons that like, you might break up with your therapist or your therapist might break up with you and has nothing to do with you as a person. Like, I, and this is again, going to be tangential because this is how my little, ADHD brain works but it's the same with relationships like I hate the language that we use around it sorry you can hear my neighbors baby crying probably I hate the language you, that people use around it. it's like oh he broke up with me I broke up with him and like innately that's like they left me like I wasn't good enough or I didn't this or I didn't that right and I kind of reframe it as like no they left the opportunity to be with you, um, because there's certain people, like I was talking to my girlfriend Tiffany about this. she's also a therapist. Um, she's 510, so am I, right? And there's different strokes for different folks, but like most often, that has left a large part of the dating pool out for me because someone who's not 510 or taller doesn't want to be with me. Does that mean that, like, to my core, I'm a bad person? or I'm not worthy, or I'm not awesome, or I'm not enough. No, it just means that he's 5'7", and I'm 5'10", and that just doesn't work for the two of us, right? But there's nothing wrong with me inherently because of it. Um, And so this language of like breaking up with or leaving this person, right, is like, no, we just are like, we have different opportunities. We have different things that we offer, and it just isn't in alignment with what that person's seeking.
2: I love that thought process because you can apply that to every area of your life. Like if you feel stuck in your job, you have other opportunities. And I know that that one feels for a lot of people, like you don't have the choice, like you're kind of stuck where you are. Um, And we can find that in a lot of different areas, right? Like you just feel stuck. And I always say like the cure for anxiety is action. And I don't mean like actual anxiety. I mean, like if you just feel stuck, do something right? And we always absolutely have that opportunity to make a shift somewhere. And I think that when you can start thinking about it that way, it gives you the power back, right? Because now you're not feeling like a victim in your situation, whatever it may be. If you feel stuck in your job, you can look for a new one. You didn't need that permission, but now you have it from all three of us. If you feel stuck in your relationship, go pursue another opportunity. Like you're not stuck. And that's all always a little bit easier said than done, obviously. Um, but you don't have to feel stuck there. Yeah. So let's like thank you for sharing that. The idea, like
0: you don't have to like full-fledged go like full commitment onto this change, right? You can like, I used to love just sitting in my truck and not in my truck. I don't drink and drive, but like my big truck and drinking Coors Light and doing the things. Then I was like, wait, but like, what is this like Reiki session? Like, can I, can I go do one? Can I have both? Like, can I try this? Can I lean into these things that like, if you are curious about it, like curiosity is my favorite thing in the whole wide world because your possibilities are endless. And if you are willing to go into it, with an open mind to like, I could be really curious about something and think that it maybe was going to change my life. But I go into the open mind with like, whatever's going to happen happens. And then I'm like, "Mm, turns out Reiki sessions weren't for me. Like then cool. I tried it. I know it. Right. Like we can get really, really curious about where our narratives are coming from, go into things with, I've talked to this Ariel about this at nauseam. Like you have the right always and forever to change your mind. And like, that's, Beautiful, like that is amazing. The fact that I can go from like, I thought that the only way to look at this situation was through this lens, and then through this book I read or this experience I had, like, I don't think that way anymore. That doesn't make you a bad person, like, in fact, it makes you more open to the experiences that are happening around you, and it's probably going to give you more ability to connect with those that are also open to whatever their experience may be. Instead of being so set in like black and white thinking, we're allowed to live in the gray.
2: I love the gray. The gray is like my favorite place to be, I think. So lynn thank you so much for this episode and thank you for opening up and for sharing all of the things that you have shared and for sharing all of the resources, because I think that this, this conversation probably drummed up a little bit of Uh, our listeners and, uh, whatever they're working through. So thank you for that. Where can people catch up with you on the regular?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I'm all over NC fit stuff. Um, so you can find me pretty regularly at NC fit. Um, you can also find me on my personal channel on Instagram at Lindsay Taylor lock. Um, and I also have my own podcast, get psyched where we dive into all of this stuff. Um, get psyched is kind of my double entendre of like I want people to be psyched like get psyched be stoked like be awesome but like also let's talk about the psychology behind the change that it takes to get there so
2: those are where you can find me love it so much that's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to amazing thank you so much Lindsay thanks ladies